Good morning, Victory Church. How you doing? Yo, happy post-Thanksgiving. Is that how that works? Happy post-Thanksgiving. My name is Troy. Me and my wife, Darla, get the incredible privilege to pastor this church. And if you're visiting with us this morning, we just want to say welcome. Thank you. So glad to be here. So glad to have you here. I want to piggyback real quick on something Malcolm said. He mentioned Growth Track. And I got to hang out with James today just for a moment pre-service as he was getting all his, his microphone. What do you call that thing? The radio uh, wire putting his ear, getting ready to serve. He was going out to the parking lot. And look, you want to be a part of the dream team, okay? So you want to be able to jump in step one today. If you've been coming for a while or maybe you're visiting for the first time, jump on board. Uh, I know some of you have been in your mind, man, we should do this, we should do this. You should start it today because if you start it today, here's the cool part. I'm going to let you know a little secret. You start it today, you can graduate and be a part of the dream team by our, by our dream team Christmas party, and you don't want to miss out on that, all right? Because victory knows how to party. Am I right? Right? Hey, I got to take just a quick second. And there we go. All right. I heard through the grapevine that somebody really, really special to my and my wife's heart was here. And I want to take a moment to honor them. So y'all have heard us talk a lot about the church that we came from in Memphis. You've heard me talk a lot about my pastor from Memphis. And him and his wife are here today. Okay. And so I, I'm, I almost fainted uh, back when I was praying when I heard about it. And so I just want to take Pastor Matt Michelle, and Would you just stand for one second? Just stand for one second. Come on, Victory Church. Come on, Victory Church such an honor to have you here. Now I got to actually, now I ain't going to be able to preach or anything. And so I told Jamal, so we might just let the worship leave for about 45 minutes. Just say the Holy Spirit was moving, right? Amen. All right. So let me focus again. You got your Bibles? Turn to the book of Luke. If you got your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke chapter nine. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along with your phone, uh, the, the notes on the app. And as always, the scripture will be behind me. So you can follow along with us there. We are coming up on the end of a series called From Here to There. It'll actually end next week. And then we have five of the most incredible Sundays in a row as a church. So next week, as Pastor Brian said, we'll talk a lot about what's happened and what is happening in 2019. On the 9th of December, we'll take up our Purpose Prevails offering and watch how God will move in that. On the 16th, we have a special presentation from V Kids for Christmas. That's going to be awesome. And then on the 23rd will be our very first candlelight communion service. And then on the 30th will be the Sunday right before we launch our 21-day fast as a church. And so the next five Sundays are a really big deal for us. So tell your friends, tell your family, get here. But we are in the second to last message of From Here to there. And when we started the series, we gave you this. Mine's a little wrinkle because it's been in my pocket. But we gave you kind of a card to follow along because we've been talking about going from here, whatever our prayer request is, to there. So our, our marriage might be here, but we want it to go there. Our dreams might be here, but we want it to go there. Our finances might be here, but we want it to go there. And so we've kind of given you this card, this large bookmark to kind of go along. And so, for example, we'll take you through it real quick. We started with our there. We have to identify what it is we're praying for. Then we talked about building our case and finding God's promises that line up with our prayer. And if our, if our prayer doesn't line up with God's promises, then we need to change our prayer. Amen? And then we talked about the process, the soil, sacrifice, obedience, intercession, long-suffering. And then we talked about the miracles in the middle. And for the past few weeks, we've been talking about our view of God and how our faith, the strength of our faith, is determined by how we perceive God. And so we've been looking at the story in both Matthew, or in all Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and how Jesus fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. 
And we've been bringing out approaches in that story that reveal perceptions of God. And so here's what we've got so far. So far we looked at how the crowd sat down and we saw that God is trustworthy. And so we talked about if we're going to have faith in God, he needs to be trustworthy. Then we talked about how Jesus took the bread, took the fish, and he, he praised God prior to the provision. And we talked about how God is where our help comes from. And then last week we talked about giving and how God gave or how Jesus gave the bread to the disciples and the disciples gave it to the crowd and how that gave off the perception that God is the supplier of all of our needs. And as we come to the last approach this morning, I want to talk to you just for a moment about how God is enough. Luke chapter 9 is where we'll read the story from today. It says, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethesda. 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 There we go. All that turkey and cranberry sauce on my lips. But the crowds learned about it, and they followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him, and they said, Send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find flood find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. That was the approach from last week. They answered, we've only got five loaves of bread and two fish, and unless we go and buy food for all of this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke them. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate, and they were satisfied. Say satisfied. They all ate, and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. I want to talk to you this morning about the approach of satisfaction. I want to talk to you about how the very fact that they were satisfied meant that they saw God as enough. It's important for you and I to be able to see God as enough by himself. I think we all had a moment just a couple of days ago where we felt so satisfied that we would say we had enough, right? Was I the only person that went up and got a second plate of food and came back and sat down and tried my best to eat it and then looked at it and had to slide the plate away and say, that's, that's just enough. That's just enough. I'm satisfied. I've had enough. And if we can learn to put ourselves in a position where God is enough, where we're satisfied with God, then so many other things in our life will fall into place. And let's be honest, before we start to believe God to do something from here to there, we want to be able to see him as enough to begin with. And so this morning, I'm going to talk a little bit about how we get there, but I want to talk more about the three challenges we face until we get there. Until God is enough, there are just things we're going to battle. Number one is this, until God is enough, and I, I'm, I'm uh, going to my inner Mick Jagger, until God is enough, we can't get no satisfaction, all right? There you go, that's, that's to wake you up this morning. Anybody here listen to Mick Jagger? Nope, all right, moving on, there we go, okay, we got two. Until God is enough, we can't get no satisfaction. We, we, we live in a culture right now that tends to operate like this. I'm going to let my situation determine my satisfaction. Right? If I've had enough sleep, 
or whether, whether or not I've had enough sleep, whether or not I've had enough food, whether or not I've had enough money, whether or not I've got enough likes on my Instagram posts. We let whatever the situation be define our satisfaction. Uh, anybody in here have an iPhone? Anybody here have an iPhone? All right, if you recently got your phone updated, the new iOS, there's this new feature that comes along with your iPhone that I thought was interesting. If you go to settings and you go to your battery, it'll look like this, and what it'll show you is it'll show you where you've spent your battery life on what kind of apps. So it's very revealing, all right? So don't, don't do this in public because you don't want people to know. And so like this says I, I spent 24% on Instagram, 10% on Safari, 9% Facebook, 9% Netflix, so on. And it kind of gives you all the way down, and I couldn't get it all in the screenshot. This is obviously Vader right here, 3% on Roblox. Uh, I'm number one in my fantasy league. How you like that, Brian Hall? And, and so, you know, just different things that are going on. But it, it kind of lays it out for you. You kind of see the percentage. And so, again, as you get home, grab your spouse's phone, go to settings, go to battery, go to battery look at it, free marriage counseling for you right there. There you go. All right, welcome. There you go. Okay. So I started, when I, when I first learned about this, I thought, man, this is crazy. Could you imagine what this would look like if this was the display of where we get our satisfaction? Right? I imagine what, you know, what we all know social media would be high, right? Because we got to get our Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook on. If somebody likes our picture, I'm going to post what I have for Thanksgiving. And if enough people like it, I'm satisfied. If nobody likes it, how come nobody likes my food? You know what I mean? Like the satisfaction goes. And so we could just go on, where would it be? Would it be your job? Would it be your finances? Would it be your family? What, what, what would it be? Friends? What, what would it be? Where would the percentage go? When it comes to your satisfaction, how divided is it? What are the percentages? A certain percentage of my satisfaction comes from my wife or, or from my kids or from my job. And what I want to introduce to you this morning is the concept that if we started from the beginning with God being 100%, then nothing else would matter. If God got 100% of our satisfaction, then the rest of it wouldn't matter as much. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm not saying we shouldn't care about it, but we don't look to it for satisfaction. I like the way Paul put it when he wrote the letters to Philippians, to the church of Philippi in the book of Philippians. One of the things he said I thought was pretty interesting in chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. He says, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Let me interpret for you. If anyone could find satisfaction in worldly things, I could. That's what Paul's saying. If anybody could put their satisfaction in all these different things of the world, Paul said, I could, and here's why, because I've been circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. You ever heard that term when you were in high school, the, the who's of who, or however that works, the who of who's? That's what he was saying. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. If, we, if this was written today, here's what it would say. Popularity, I'm the most popular. Good looks, I'm the best looking. Money, I got all of it. Social media, everybody likes me. Everybody's on my Snapchat. You know what I mean? If, if he was laying it out, he would be saying, if it came to worldly things, I could find satisfaction in it the most. Because I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I need to start calling yourself that as you walk into work on Monday. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he goes on to say this, but... Whatever were gains, whatever was satisfying, to me now I consider a loss or now I consider dissatisfying 
for the sake of Christ. What used to give me satisfaction doesn't matter anymore. What I used to find glory in, what I used to find uh, uh, who I was and my identity in, what I used to put my satisfaction in does not matter anymore. Listen, because I am content in Christ. Paul said, I'm content in Christ. One time, Paul was in prison, and they were trying to debate whether or not they were going to kill Paul. And here's what he said. He said, if I live, then I am going to go on laboring for Christ. So if you let me live, I'm going to keep on preaching the gospel. If you let me live, I'm going to keep on laboring for Jesus. But if you kill me, then I'm going to actually be with Christ. So if you let me live, I'm going to labor for Christ. If you kill me, I'm going to be with Christ. If you let me live, I'm going to preach the gospel. If you let me die, I'm going to be in heaven. So what he was saying is whether I'm alive or whether I'm dead, I'm satisfied. It doesn't matter either way. He had put 100% of his satisfaction in God alone. And because it was in God alone, it didn't matter if he was dead or if he was alive. He's like, look, I'm satisfied if I'm rich. I'm satisfied if I'm poor. I'm satisfied if I'm sick. I'm satisfied if I'm healthy. I'm satisfied if I get a lot of likes. I'm satisfied if I don't get any likes. I'm satisfied if I'm eating at Bonefish. I'm satisfied if I'm eating at Captain D's. You know what I mean? I'm satisfied if I'm riding a Cadillac. I'm satisfied if I'm in a Nissan Versa. It doesn't matter what situation I'm in, I'm satisfied. Because all of my satisfaction is in God alone. And when it's in God alone, it does not matter if I got enough sleep or not. It doesn't matter if the paycheck came through like it was supposed to. It doesn't matter if my boss hates me or not. It doesn't matter. I don't find my satisfaction in those things because God alone is enough. We all, as, as somebody, I think Malcolm said, as we stood around all these tables on Thursday, we all were thankful for things. Oh, I'm so thankful for this. I'm so thankful for that. And it's okay to be thankful for it. But it's different to rely your satisfaction on it. My satisfaction's in God. And when I'm full of God, then I don't need satisfaction from those things. Make sense? One time, Darla and I were getting ready to go meet this couple for dinner. And she said, hey, um, I just want to let you know, me and, and the wife of the couple have planned for us to go to this healthy restaurant. I said, those two things should never even be together. You know what I mean? doesn't even make any sense. Um, healthy and restaurant should not go together. And so I said, well, okay, well, you know, thank you. Why are you telling me this? And she said, well, I'm telling you this because, A, their portions aren't that big. B, I don't know how their food tastes, so you might not get full. You know, she noticed I had a bunch of guns that I had to be able to feed with protein. And so she said, you might not. <laughs> Moving on. Um, more like drumsticks, but whatever. And so she said, you might not get full. You might not get satisfied. So I said, okay, just thanks for letting me know. And so the day goes on, and we go to the restaurant, and we're sitting there eating. And I've, I've eaten about half of my food, and I've gone into what they call full body language, where you start to look like you're full, you know what I mean? Like unbutton your pants and like just a walk to the bathroom takes all the energy you have. You know what I mean? You're just giving off the impression that you are very satisfied. You are full. And so Darla looked over me, and she goes, I'm kind of surprised because she looked. She could tell I was full, but she could tell I didn't eat all my plate. And so she's like, what, what happened? I said, well, let me tell you something, babe. I pre-ate. When you told me that I wasn't going to find satisfaction at this restaurant, I had pre-dinner. You know what I mean? I made my own dinner at home, and I ate. So when I came in here, I wasn't that hungry to begin with. I didn't even need to eat. But I got your little piece of lettuce with the pecan on it, and I had it, and now I'm full. Listen, sometimes we got to understand the power of pre-eating. 
right? Here's, here's what I'm learning. When I come to church on Sunday, I want to pre-eat. I, I want to listen to worship on the way to church, you know what I mean? So that when I walk in the door, I don't need the worship band to excite me. I already come in ready to worship God, you know what I mean? And when we learn to pre-eat, when we learn to be pre-satisfied by Jesus alone, then when we go into situations, it's just icing on the top. If that goes great, great. I didn't need it to go great, but it went great. If that happens, great. But I didn't need it because I pre-ate. I'm starting to learn. Here, here's here's what, I, what happened this morning. I, I was practicing and preparing, and I came out, and the worship team and the production team were in here worshiping. They had music going, and they were in here praying and worshiping. They weren't practicing. They were in here praying and worshiping. Like, y'all should be practicing. What are y'all praying for? And so they even learned that praying is better than practicing, but that's a whole other sermon. We won't go there. And so they're praying, and I realized, hey, hey, and they didn't even know I was going to preach this, but I realized they're pre-eating. They are pre-eating. They are in here getting them some Jesus getting satisfied in Jesus before they ever get up here and have to worship him. What would happen, here, here I'm, I'm going to get really crazy for a moment. What would happen if all of us got into the word before we ever came to church on Sunday morning? Then you don't look up here for satisfaction, you're already satisfied. If Monday morning we're in the word, we're already satisfied. If Tuesday morning we're in prayer, we're already satisfied. If things go well, great. But I didn't need it to go well because I was pre-satisfied in God alone. That's what Paul was saying. That's why he could be in the middle of chains in prison worshiping because he wasn't satisfied in his freedom. He was satisfied in God alone. So until God is enough, we won't get no satisfaction. The world is going to let us down. It may make you feel good on Monday, but it's going to make you feel bad on Thursday if your satisfaction's in that. Amen? Number two, until God is enough, He'll never be able to do enough. Until he is enough, he'll never be able to do enough. When John sat down to pen his version of the feeding of the 5,000, that ended up getting categorized into John chapter 6. And after you go past that story, and then Jesus goes and does some ministry on the lake, and then he goes to the other side of the lake, the crowd follows him. The same crowd that he fed with the loaves follows him to the other side. And watch this conversation. Jesus told them, the truth of the matter is that you don't want to be with me, or I'm sorry, you, you just want to be with me because I fed you. This is how I feel about my kids sometimes. Y'all ever feel this way about your kids? Like the only reason you even know I'm alive is because you know you need a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in a couple minutes. Like if I didn't feed you, you wouldn't even know I was in this house. But not because you believe in me. You're only with me because I fed you. You're only with me because I did something for you. You're not here because of me. And they replied, well, you, you just need to show us more miracles if you want us to believe you are the Messiah. I just need you to do more for me, and then I will know that you love me. Sometimes we treat Jesus like the friend growing up who had the car. You know what I mean? The only friend who had a car. You know what I'm talking about? Like you only called them when you needed a ride. If they tried to hang out with you, no, nah, I'm busy. And then all of a sudden you need a ride. Hey, man, we had not hung out in a while. You want some Taco Bell? You know what I mean? Like we just kind of treat Jesus that as long as you can do something for me. I mean, and this is what Jesus was saying. It's like, I'm on to you. I'm on to you. And they said, give us this free bread every day. They've experienced free bread. Give it to us every day. Just like our fathers had while they journeyed through the wilderness because God would provide manna for Moses while he was taking the Israelites through. So just like that happened, provide us bread. And I loved, I've told y'all since this church launched that Jesus is a gangster with a capital what? G. Watch what he says. The true bread is a person. The true bread, the bread you're looking for isn't an action. It's a person. The one sent by God from heaven, and he gives life to the world. 
Sir, they said, and, and just like us, they're pretty dumb. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day of our lives. Come on, give us that bread every day of our lives. Make it like old Charlie's rolls. Let it be available nonstop all the time. <laughs> Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Not, no one coming to me will ever be hungry again, for those believing in me will never thirst. Jesus was saying, you're so worried about what I can do. You need to be focused on who I am. What you, you don't need product. You need the person. It doesn't matter how much product you get. If you're not satisfied with the person, the product will never bring satisfaction. We got done eating Thanksgiving food, and I, I, felt, I felt embarrassed by how much food I ate, okay? The people that came, everybody brought like two or three dishes, so they brought like their best dish. One of our friends, can I, let me just tell you this. One of our friends brought, brought dessert. Here was the dessert. Are you ready? The dessert was a chocolate chip cookie. Inside of it was an Oreo cookie, and on top of it was M&M's. That's, that's, that's gluttony is what that is. And I ate it. There wasn't one left. You know what I mean? Everybody ate it. And I just felt bad. I remember telling Darla, you know what the saddest thing about this is? Is tomorrow I'm going to be hungry. That scares me. You know what I mean? Like when, when you feel that way and you know that not even 12 hours from now, some of y'all not even two hours, you're like, man, you got a Nutri-Grain bar around here anywhere? Brother, where are the leftovers? That worries me. But it's the same kind of satisfaction with the things. As long as we're trying to be satisfied by actions, they'll come and go. You'll be satisfied with what God did today, but you won't be satisfied with what he did yesterday or, or what he does tomorrow because sometimes he doesn't do what you want him to do. So as long as our satisfaction is put in what he does, then our satisfaction is up and down. Jesus is saying being satisfied in me is where the answer is. He says, listen, are you thirsty? Well, you're in luck. I'm living water, right? Do you need some type of direction? Well, guess what? You're in luck. I'm the way. Do, do you need a second chance? Well, you're in luck. I'm the resurrection. Are you hungry? Well, you're in luck. I'm beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes. You know what I'm saying? Y'all don't know about that. You name it. That's what I'm talking about. I'm all of it. Jesus said, I'm everything you could possibly need. Jesus knows we will never be satisfied with what he does until we are satisfied with who he is. One Sunday after church, Brian and Nikki Hall, two of our good friends, they, their daughter Kalia and my daughter Veda are really good friends. And we, we had a decision that Kalia was going to go home with us. And, of course, we were going to go out to eat after lunch and all that kind of stuff. And so Nikki tried to give us money to pay for Kalia's lunch. And we weren't going to take it. Like, no. And so we gave it back to her. Next thing I knew, it kept showing back up. <laughs> so, like, we would take a step, and it would, be like, end up in our pocket somehow. Or it would be, like, sitting on my hat somewhere. And I'd get, when they weren't looking, I'd slide it in Brian's pocket. And we were, we were doing this back and forth for, like, 20 minutes, okay, to the point where when we were in the parking lot leaving, Okay? I had already ran, and this is why I gave it to Nikki, and I said, look, Nikki, thank you, but we don't need it. And I ran back to the car, and I jumped in the car, and I made the mistake of rolling the window down and going, <laughs> laughing at her. That girl took off running after my car and threw the money in the driver's seat window, just threw it in the car. I was blown away. I'm like, listen, thank you, but we don't need it. I'm in this for the relationship. I appreciate the blessing, but I don't need the blessing. I'm in it for the relationship. This is what I'm talking about with Jesus. I'm in it for the relationship. I don't need the blessing, 
but I thank you for the blessing, but I don't need it because I'm in it for the relationship. Thank you, but I don't need it. I want to start a new hashtag. Thank you, but I don't need it. All right, I'll give you another example. I was eating one time at a place. Y'all ever get leftovers when you go out to eat? Y'all ever get leftovers in a little to-go box? You know what I'm talking about? We're going to talk about this next week. We're going we're to talk about a new version of to-go box. It's going to change your life next week. But anyway, a little shameless plug. And so when you get the to-go box, have y'all ever gotten your leftovers? And then after you got them, you thought, I'm not going to eat those. Y'all done it before? And so you often get up and leave the leftover at the table. I did that one time. And this poor waitress, I was out in the parking lot of the, of the restaurant, and the poor waitress came running out of the restaurant. She was like, sir, sir, you forgot your leftovers. And I'm just standing there like, mm, you wasted your trip. And so she handed them to me. I remember looking, I said, thank you, but I didn't need it. Thank you, but I don't need it. If I get the blessing, thank you, God, but I didn't need it. If you answer the prayer, thank you, but I didn't need it. If you provide, thank you. But I didn't need it. I'm in it for the relationship. If you do, because I know you will do, thank you. Praise God for the blessing. But I don't need the blessing to be satisfied in who you are. I'm just satisfied in the very fact that you woke me up today. I'm satisfied that I'm healthy. I'm satisfied in my family. I'm satisfied in my purpose. I'm satisfied in who you are. If you do something, then fantastic. But I don't need it. And when we started this series, it was all about getting you from here to there and God answering your prayer. And I believe he's going to it. When this church goes through this fast, it's going to revolutionize your prayer life. It's going to be incredible. And I believe he wants to do it. But I taught you a couple weeks ago, it's more about the miracle in the middle. It's more about the process with him. And it's about us getting to a place with God where we are the kind of church that thanks him for the blessing. But we didn't need it. We didn't need it. Not for, a, not for a minute have you forsaken me. You are in this place, your presence. It's all about your presence and this place and your provision on my life. And if you do answer these crazy prayers, great. But I didn't need them. So until God is enough, we won't get any satisfaction. And until God is enough, it won't matter what he does for you. He can do so many things for you. I'll give you one last example. We'll move on. We, I, I often use my children as counseling mechanisms while I preach in here, as you guys know. And when you have small children, you'll figure this out. It doesn't matter what you do for them today. If you don't do it tomorrow, you're the worst parent in the world. You know what I mean? Just fit throwing. Just absolute fit throwing. Because, again, the concept and that age and that mind is do for me, do for me, do for me. And when you find satisfaction in just who you are, it doesn't matter what the answer is because you can guarantee that the answer must be the right answer. This is what I'm talking about. When the relationship is right, you trust the answer. So it doesn't matter what he does if you can say he is enough. Amen? Last, until God is enough, we will take him for granted. Talked a little bit about our Thanksgiving experience. Um, I'm not the cook of our family. My wife is, and thank goodness for that. But as we were getting ready to get together for Thanksgiving, I said, babe, I want to make something. I, I, want, I want to provide something for this experience. I want to be valuable so that next year people want me back. You know what I mean? I want to have some type of value. And so I made some deviled eggs because that's what my dad taught me to make because it's eggs. You know, I know how to make that and scrambled eggs, and that's where I stop at Chef Abilities. And so I looked at Pinterest because that's what real men do, and I found this recipe for something called Watergate Salad. 
Y'all ever heard this before? It's not what it sounds like. It's not romaine lettuce. Don't worry about that. Um, it, it's, told, it's more like an ambrosia, right? Y'all know about that? I'm educating y'all today. When you go home, don't Google it. I don't know what might come up. All right, so anyway, it's, it's like pistachio pudding, pecans, coconut, and pineapples. And so I called Dollar. I said, hey, can, can you get me some pineapples? And she came back with this. Y'all familiar with this? This is a can of pineapple tidbits and pineapple juice. It was $1.88 at Kroger. You know what I noticed is that none of y'all oohed or odd when I pulled this can up. None of y'all were rushing to the stage to get it. If I tried to give it away, you wouldn't be excited about it because it's pineapple tidbits. Is that even a word? Tidbits? Let me tell you why I'm saying this. I didn't know this until a couple weeks ago. And, but you may have if you're more educated than me. Did you know that in the 1700s, pineapples were a luxury? Do you know this? They, they, the only way you could have a pineapple, a pineapple, I'm not, I'm, this is not a, a, a joke, for, an actual pineapple. The only way you could own a pineapple in the 1700s is if you were rich. It, 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 was, it, it was kind of a form of stature or prestige. Here's how much one pineapple cost. You ready? In, in our current uh, uh, value in that day, it was $8,000 for a pineapple. I won't pay $8,000 for a car, and I can't drive a pineapple. A pineapple. It was such a big deal that people were like, they were like putting it on buildings, right? And, and Charles II, I got this to prove it to you. Charles II had a painting done of himself and one of his, his fellow guys. And let me show you. This is the painting real quick, all right? This is Charles II. I don't know who he is. And this right here, what he's given him, guess what it is? It's a pineapple. Who pays money to have a painting of themselves receiving a pineapple? Because pineapples were such a big deal. It was, I mean, can, I mean, I take it further on this? This is really fun. This is exciting. You know what you could do? You could rent a pineapple. Some of us are renting houses. They were renting pineapples. Okay? They were too expensive to purchase, so they would rent them. Now, obviously, if you rented a pineapple, you couldn't what? You couldn't eat it. Because if you bit it, you bought it. You know what I'm saying? And so if you were renting it, all you could do was look at it. And I read more about it. They said people would just carry the pineapple around. Now we're treating pineapples like babies. You know what I mean? We're just walking around like, yeah, this is mine for the day. Thank you. Look at it. Honor it. And then it even got better than that. You, they ended up saying that people would throw what they called pineapple revealing parties. Yo, go with me on this for a second. Okay. So people would throw parties. And they would invite all these rich people over. And on the table, under some type of blanket, would be the pineapple. And so everybody would kind of gather around and mingle and eat, you know, food and drink and all that. And then at some point during the night, before it got too late, they would kind of touch the glass with the knife. Ding, ding, ding. Everybody gather around. Gather around. Everybody, come on. Stop. Gather. They'd get around. Everybody would be standing there. Are you ready? Count to three. And then they would take the little blanket and, whew, and you would hear, oh, Oh, ooh, ah, it's a pineapple. And then they would return it back, and there it was, the luxury of a pineapple. So the next time you are in Kroger and you walk by a pineapple, you better give it some respect 
Better put some respect on his name, you know what I mean? Like, you better, you better, it, it used to be the big deal. But then in the 1900s, James Dole came along, started making all these pineapple plantations, started pushing these things out left and right, left and right, and now you can go to Kroger and you can buy pineapple tidbits for $1.88. We went from renting the pineapple and showing it off at parties to putting it in cans and calling it tidbits for $1.88. And the reason is, is because at that time, pineapples were so rare. They were like revered. Now you can just get them anywhere you go, right? Some of y'all probably got pineapples right now in your pantry at home and you are not honoring them. Shame on you. So I was thinking about this, and here's one of the reasons I told you it. A, because it's a crazy story. B, is because in the Old Testament, God was revered. You didn't always have the opportunity to speak to God. Matter of fact, a lot of times, there was a priest that would go into the Holy of Holies and have conversations with God for you on your behalf. And this, I always like this story, I just think it's funny. So let's just say, Jamal, that you wanted to offer up a sacrifice to God for your sins, and so you would give the sacrifice to the priest, and the priest would go and bring it into the Holy of Holies before God, and that would be your communication to God through somebody else. So the only way you could communicate to God is to do it through me. One of the things I thought was cool is they would tie a rope, and they'd have bells on the priest, because there were sometimes, if they weren't careful, if the priest wasn't up to his Holy of Holies, he could get in front of God, and he could drop dead. And the only way they knew he dropped dead is they'd hear the bells when he hit the ground. Ching! And the rope was to pull him out. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, I thought it was funny. <clears throat> Just thought, like, get him! And so you see the, the, how, how revered God was. That, that you weren't even able to speak to him. You had to go through a priest. So then, as you know, the whole point of the New Testament is God then sends Jesus. The veil that would once separate us from God is torn. And now through the sacrifice of Jesus, you and I can talk to God at any moment we ever want to. You can talk to God right now. You can interrupt my sermon and talk to God right now. And now he's available all the time. Whenever you want, he's available. And at some point, just like pineapples, once he became so available, we begin to take him for granted. When he was rare, he was revered, valued. But then as he became more and more available, we begin to take him for more and more, took him granted. And I just believe that until God is enough for us, we'll do that very thing. We'll take him for granted. And I wanted, I thought Paul did this in such a great way. And I wanted to take a moment. I wanted to give us a few things as we close. A few things to be thankful for when it comes to God. And an opportunity to say, I will not take you for granted. And an opportunity to worship him. To be able to say, God, you are enough. So when Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus in the book of Ephesians, he says this. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old, stagnant life of sin. Anybody? Did you? It wasn't, just, it wasn't too long ago that I was who I was before God. Amen? Maybe it's just me, but I remember what it was. It wasn't too long ago. It wasn't too long ago that I was that. This is definitely me. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. Filled your lungs with polluted unbelief, and then you exhaled disobedience. We all did it. That's what I love about Paul. He was quick to say, I'm a chief of sinners. 
He's quick to say, we're all this way. We're not looking down on anybody. We were all this. Before Christ, we were all this. Just destined for nothing, for hell. Just, just ridiculous. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing whenever we felt like doing it. Anybody? All of us in the same boat headed nowhere. It's a wonder, I love this, it's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with a whole lot of us. Why didn't God just wipe us out and start over? Instead, minced in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. Thank you, God, that I'm not where I was. Thank you, God, that despite me doing whatever I wanted to, whenever I wanted to do it, you didn't do away with me, but you embraced me. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. Thank you that when I had no purpose, thank you when I had no future, you made me alive in Jesus Christ. He did all of this, my favorite part, on his own, with no help from us. Because if you didn't earn your salvation, then you can't. You can't unearn your salvation. It was never about you. It was always about him. Then he picked us up and he set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us. With all the time in this world and all the next to, sh next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus, saving is all of his idea and all his work. Salvation wasn't your idea. It was his idea. It's not your job. It's his job. We said a few weeks ago, it's not your job to judge people, and it's not your job to save people. It's his. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. Thank you, God, for the gift. I love this. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we had done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. So we can stop right there, leave that up, but we can stop right there, and we have enough reason to thank God right there. Thank you that I'm not in the dead sin life that I was. Thank you that I'm made alive in Jesus Christ. Thank you that I'm not who I was. Thank you that I'm not on that same boat that I was on, destined for hell. Thank you that no matter what I did and how bad I did it, it was because of you and your works only. It was by your love. It was your saving that I'm saved. Thank you, God. That's enough. Wouldn't that be enough? Thank you. That's, that's enough. I don't need anything else. Thank you, but I don't need it. Well, well what, what, what about financial blessing? Well, that's fine, but I don't need it because I was destined for hell and I'm going to heaven. So thank you, but, but I don't need it. That would have been enough. But the whole reason we planted this church with the underlining of you're here on purpose because what? You have a purpose. Watch this. We, that would have been enough. Salvation would have been enough. But then it says, he creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work. Not to sit down and watch him work, but to pick up something and join him in the work that he does. The good work that he has gotten ready for us to do. He's already given you a job. He's already given you a purpose. And you were saved for that purpose to be able to impact other people's lives for us to do work we had better be doing. So if thinking him for salvation isn't enough, now we're thinking him for salvation and purpose. 
that's enough. That is enough for me to worship. That's enough for me to praise. Thank you, God, for my salvation, and thank you, God, for my purpose. We plan a victory church with two purposes, to see the lost saved, thank you for my salvation, and to see the saved find their purpose, thank you for my purpose. Thank you for salvation, thank you for purpose. Thank you for salvation, thank you for purpose. Thank you for salvation, thank you for purpose. If that's our mindset, then that's where we find our satisfaction. I'm satisfied in my salvation, and I'm satisfied in my purpose. What else do we need? All of the other stuff is great. It's a blessing. I appreciate it, but I don't need it. I don't need it. It's just icing on top because in him is my salvation and my purpose. And that's why Paul said, don't take any of this for granted. Don't take any of it for granted. Man, I got to rest the past couple of days and it was great, but I didn't need it. I was so ready to get back here with y'all because I'm in my purpose. I'm thankful for my salvation. I'm thankful that as Pastor, I think it was Pastor Brian that said, we're now coming up on 11 months, 63 people have given their life to Jesus in this church. Come on. Thankful for his salvation. Now 110 people on the dream team. Thank you for his purpose. I'm thankful. Are you thankful, church? God, I want you to take me from here to there. I really do. And I want to be challenged in my giving through Purpose Prevails, and I want to be challenged in my sacrificial worship of you through fasting, and I want all of that. But to be honest with you, I'm just satisfied in my salvation and in my purpose. Do me a favor. Would you stand with me just for a moment? Worship band, I'm going to let you get up here for a second. I thought it would be a great way on a Thanksgiving weekend to be able to say, God, you are enough. I'm not enough, but you're enough. And to just be able to take a second and thank him. And in a moment, you're going to have that opportunity. And listen, it's okay to thank him for all the blessings. That's not what I'm saying. But your satisfaction should be in your salvation and your purpose alone. You've got enough, maybe you're going through a hard time. Maybe finances aren't quite the way you thought they would be. Maybe there's been some sickness in your family. Maybe some decisions have been made and maybe for those reasons you're not finding satisfaction. But there's enough reason to thank God in your salvation and your purpose alone, amen? So what an opportunity to be able to put a period on this service by spending time thanking God that he is enough. Do me a favor, in your own way, real quick, just just tell him, you're enough. You're enough. Maybe you need to say it out loud, maybe you don't. Maybe you say it with your hands in the air, maybe you won't. But you are enough for me. You, You don't have to do another thing, God. You don't have to answer another prayer. You are enough. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for my purpose. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. Thank you for the opportunity that I get to come before you at any time, at any moment. I don't have to go through a priest. And help me, Lord, not to take you for granted. Hallelujah.